So keep your Bibles open. We're going to walk through this passage together. So we're jumping back into Matthew. If you uh, have been following along with us, we've, we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew verse by verse, word by word, chapter by chapter. And uh, we paused for a little bit at the end of the year, beginning of the year, to address some, some other things. And um, then we, we jumped back into it for... Uh, one day to catch these first two parables of Matthew 25, and so uh, we're back to finish out the, this chapter with this scene of the final judgment. So the the title of the sermon today is "After the Resurrection, There Is the Return of Christ." And so last week's sermon and this week's sermon kind of illustrates uh, the divine calendar, so to speak, and um, we're going to be kind of looking and, and making some observations of what Jesus is teaching here concerning this picture that he has put before us of what the final judgment will, will be like. So as we do that, let's pause for a moment as we do, and again, just ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we love you, and and we praise you and we thank you once again for, for life, for just the opportunity to be here, the, the privilege to be able to gather with fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ to, to open your precious word, to hear instruments played to your glory, to sing songs, to declare your praise to petition your throne of grace for mercies and daily bread and grace. And we thank you, Father, for the, the wonderful knowledge to know that this is not just a, kind of a, a mundane, routine activity, that, that when we gather together in your name, that you are especially present with us and that your word is truth and that it is alive and active. And as your truth, as your word is proclaimed, and as we gather and as you are present with us, Lord, you are at work and in hundreds of ways and in each and every life and heart. And so we pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive. That you would help us, God, to be attentive, spiritually attentive, spiritually awake to what you are, how you are speaking and moving in our lives. And that, Lord, as we look, as we see this view of what is to come, that, Lord, it, it, it would be a, a tremendous, Lord, have a tremendous impact in our lives right here, right now, today. So that we are assured with absolute certainty and faith that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know that we are of the children of God and that we are ready for this last and final day. So, Father, may you be glorified in the work that you accomplish in our lives and in your church today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So after the resurrection, the next big event, the next history-shaping event 
on the divine calendar is the return of Christ. And when Christ returns, many things will happen. There will, there will be a lot of things that take place when Christ returns. And today's text, the verses that we've heard read, we followed along, it describes one of those events of the many that will accompany the return of Christ. And I think, in it, uh, for one thing, one of, the, one, one of the lessons of this particular text for us is, is really kind of goes along with one of the great lessons of life, and that is that all things come to an end. All things are coming to an end. Seasons of life that we enjoy, they come to an end. They begin and they conclude. Events that we look forward to, occasions that we take part in, we, we plan them, we look forward to them, they happen and they conclude. E- even life here in this world comes to an end. But we tend to lose sight of the fact that this world itself is coming to an end. That, that history will conclude, it will finalize It will come to a stopping point at its God-designated point. Life and the world as we know them to be are not infinite. There are far, think of it this way, there are far fewer generations to come after us than have come before us. So I want us to get, I want us to kind of center ourselves in the scope of God's history of redemption. And where we stand on the, on the scale of God's timeline is that we are far closer to the return of Christ Today's text is a glaring reminder to us that that we are headed to a great ending that will unfold into a great beginning and a new eternal destination for every one of us. In other words, this existence, the way the world is now, the way life is now, this, the way that we understand life in the world, all of this has an expiration date. That's what eschatology in in theological terms means the the study of the last days the study of the end times that's what that means that all of this is coming to an end and then it unfolds into eternity future that ending date that expiration date that next history-shaping event that is to take place on God's calendar is marked by the return of Christ. And Jesus speaks of his own return, of his own coming in this text and opens for us a view into the future. This is, this is what the future is going to look like. This is how it's going to be one day. And so let's see how Christ describes the ending. First, Christ, we see Christ returns in his 
glory. That's the first thing we see in verses 31 through 33. Christ returns in his glory. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now, this coming event, I I want us just to pause and, and, and think and let this settle into our hearts. This coming event that Jesus is describing is just as certain as every other event the Bible promises. So either Jesus has, has, has hit the nail on the head and has it 100% right in these verses, or Jesus is wrong. So we need to just let it settle in into our hearts and our minds that, that this description we've just read in these verses is just as absolutely sure and certain as every other thing the Bible promised about redemption about the Redeemer, about Jesus. The Bible promised the coming of the Messiah to be born of the Virgin Mary, and Jesus came. Wrapped in flesh, born of the Virgin, born under the law to save us from the consequences of sin, the judgment of the law. Just as God had promised in his word, Jesus came. The Bible promised that the, the, the servant would suffer, and from his sufferings, He would be slain to save God's people from their sins. And Jesus came. And he died on the cross, freeing us from sin just as God promised in his word. The Bible promised that Christ would rise in victory over death three days after his death. And Jesus rose just as God promised in his word. So if everything else God has promised concerning redemption has occurred just as he promised down to the very last detail, we should have every ounce of confidence that can be held in our hearts that Christ's return is just as sure and certain. In fact, redemption, Christ is our redeemer, he He provides our redemption, and redemption is incomplete until Christ returns and carries all of his people to heaven forevermore. Redemption has not finalized until Christ consummates his kingdom with his people. So there is still a tremendous event awaiting on the divine calendar. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when he returns, Jesus says it's going to be in his glory. He, he returns in his rightful glory. No longer will his flesh veil and hide his deity. His radiant and beautiful glory will be on full display when he returns. No eye that beholds him, believer or unbeliever, no eye that beholds Christ when he returns will have any doubt as to his sovereign power and majesty. He returns in his glory. When the glories of heaven step into the corruption of this fallen world, there will be no doubt who's in charge and who's God and who's sovereign. He came once 
to serve and to save. He is coming again to judge and to reign. He's coming in his glory. And when he returns, he says, he will be surrounded by the mighty host of heaven. He, he will come, he says, in his glory and all of the angels with him. All of heaven will seem to pour out onto the earth. When Christ first came, remember that first coming and those lowly shepherds on that hillside that first Christmas night? They, they were given a glimpse into the armies of heaven. They were, they were visited by the, the angel and then all of a sudden the sky lit up with a heavenly host and the, and the angels began to sing of Christ. Well, when he returns, the, 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 it won't be a handful of lowly shepherds that, that witness the might of the host of heaven. All of earth... All of earth will witness heaven's warriors accompanying the king into earth's realm. And when he returns, he says he will sit on his glorious throne. In that very instant, every every nation, every leader, every dictator, every warlord, everyone will have no doubt whatsoever who's in charge. Who's the king? And when he returns, in verse 32, there will be a great gathering followed by a great separation. A great gathering followed by a great separation. Jesus says he, he will, before him, will be gathered all the nations Every people group and every person in every people group will stand before the Lord of heaven and earth. That's a gathering. I know, I know when we gather here, right? We're, we're not, we're not, all of us are not always here when we gather. But there's a coming gathering in which all of us will be present. There's a coming gathering where where, whether you want to be there or not, you will be there. Where you're ready to be there or not, you will be there. There, There's a coming gathering. You know, some gatherings, you get get invitations, right? And you get uh, uh, please RSVPs and and all of these things. There's some gatherings that you decline, right? Your, Your schedule is busy or you'd rather not be there. Well, this day, all schedules will be cleared. All other events will be canceled. Nothing else in the world will be happening but this, a great gathering. And when all of the nations are gathered before the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, then a great separation will occur, a great gathering and a great separation And that separation, at that point, when all the nations are gathered before the Lord and Christ says he will separate, Christ will separate. That's the final word. That's the final judgment. From that separation throughout eternity, that separation will never be undone. And so to use imagery that his listeners would recognize, Jesus said, it's like when a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You see, the sheep and the goats, they just walk along, right? They, they walk along, mingling in and out, 
with one another, mixing with one another. They're just there. They're just happy to be there. The shepherd knows which is which. The shepherd. That's Jesus' point. The shepherd of the sheep knows which ones belong to him. And he will do the separating. The sheep won't do the separating. The goats won't do the separating. No one else will do. The angels won't do the separating. He will do the separating. He knows who are his. And Jesus will organize humanity into two vast multitudes. And as you read this, uh, as you read through this, I mean, I I tend to believe it, it will happen in an instant. I mean, he returns in an instant. I believe this this gathering happens, this separation happens. I don't believe it's going to be, you know, um, of the billions of people throughout history and that are even alive uh, today and will be alive when Christ returns. I don't think it's going to be a thousands and thousands and thousands of year process to go by and one by one say, you stand there and you stand there. It's just going to be a separation. He will separate. He will distinguish. He will bring his people to himself and he will gather the unbelievers separately, distinctly. And every one of us in this room, every single soul here today will be gathered in one of those two groups. There's no middle group. There's no maybe group. There's no in the process group. There's no I'm going to think about that more group. There's no, can I do this tomorrow group? Every one of us will be in one of those two distinct categories. And when you find yourself in that great separation, it will have absolutely nothing to do with the color of our skin. It will have absolutely nothing to do with the level of our education. It will have absolutely nothing to do with the diversity of our portfolio. It will have absolutely nothing to do with how many followers we have on our account. All of the things that we've made so much of throughout the history of the world and in our own lives at that point will absolutely mean nothing. They will have no determination factor whatsoever. Some of us thrive for the things that we, we spend our lives and our energies and, and our monies and our attention for things that ultimately will not matter. Things like how popular you are. How many friends you have. If you're hanging with the in group if you've made it the sheep the people of God will be placed on his right and and the goats those who rejected God and Christ will be placed on his left and no act of man or power in the world can stop what comes next 
There's one thing to think about the, the great gathering. There's, it's another thing to think about the great separation. But it's what comes next. Because there's more to come than just the separation. And so, I want us to see through this passage. We've already heard it read, but I want us to think about a couple of things. So, the second point is what the sheep and the goats have in common. This is why sometimes we get mixed up in our thinking, in our living, in our churches, in the world, between believer and unbeliever, and who's right with God and who's not right with God. What the sheep and the goats have in common? Well, first of all, we've already uh, observed a few similarities with the sheep and the goats, that is the believers and the unbelievers. All are gathered and all are separated. No, nobody gets out of that. It, all, it happens to everyone. And Christ's sovereignty over us is clearly displayed to everyone, believer and unbeliever. Notice that in this passage, we're not asked for our opinion. We highly value our opinion, especially, especially here in the West. We highly value our opinion and our preference, but we're not asked. Jesus separates us. He does the separating, and he does it according to our relationship with him, and he's the one who knows what our relationship is with him. So those are, those are kind of the general things we've already seen. But let's notice a couple of more things that the sheep and the goats have in common. First of all, the standard whereby that relationship is measured is the same for both the sheep and the goats. Jesus says, uses the same standard of measure. I was sick and you visited me. I was, I was in prison. You visited me. I was thirsty. You gave me water. I was hungry. You, or you didn't. But it was, it's the same standard of, of measure. And notice that that standard of measure has nothing to do. Listen very carefully. Let this sink in. Notice that nowhere in this passage does it have anything to do with what we say we believe. Or what we say about how right or wrong we are with God. Or what we even believe about that. It doesn't have anything to do with what we claim that we have done. Because in both passages, the sheep and the goats, they claim to have not done. Both of them claim to have not done. It has nothing to do with any kind of certificate of any decision that we've made. It doesn't come down to a singular decision in life. Please hear me. Please hear me. It does not come down to a singular decision in life. The standard, notice, it's, it, this is Jesus speaking. Let's just make this observation together. The standard is the presence or the absence of the evidence of our faith. The evidence of our faith, which means faith is present, all right? So don't, don't hear me wrong. We're justified by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. But the judgment of Christ is the, the standard of measure before Christ is the evidence of whether or not that faith exists. The evidence of whether or not we have that faith. 
That's why James would write later in his epistle, faith without works is dead. If our lives do not testify that we are followers of Christ, it's because we're not followers of Christ. Hear me well. This is the thrust of the passage. Our standing with Christ will be measured by how we live, not by what we said we believed. Because if we truly believed, it changes the way that we live. That's the point. So Jesus doesn't ask, but did you walk the aisle? Jesus doesn't ask, did you, did you pray that prayer exactly right? He doesn't ask, did you make a decision? He doesn't ask, did you join the church? In fact, Jesus doesn't ask any questions. He simply places us according to the witness of our lives. So parents, I can't impress this on our hearts enough. We pray and we pray for our kids to make a profession of faith in Christ. But, but once they do, we, we kind of breathe a sigh of, of relief as if they've crossed the finish line. When, when in fact, if it's true faith, they just started the race. They just started to run. They just got on the track. Now comes, now comes the task of lifelong discipleship where we disciple them in the faith that they have professed in Christ. And, and we're teaching them to grow and, and being an example and training them to spend time with God and grow in the faith and grow in their knowledge and understand the Lord and understand salvation and understand the world. To make their faith their priority and let everything else in life circle around their faith. It's not their, their education is not the centerpiece. Their, their future is not their centerpiece. Their spouse, their home, their wealth, all of those things is not the center. All of those things are to revolve around the centerpiece, which is their faith. It's a, it's a daunting task, parents, and none of us are perfect and all of us fail. But we've got to keep this in focus. We are their primary disciples as their parents. They are watching us. They are listening. And we must be investing and spending time and discipling and exampling. This is a tremendous wake-up call. But our kids and our grandkids are not on their way to heaven if nothing in their life looks like heaven. If they're totally absorbed in self and the world. And here's another point. Neither are we. Neither are we. So first let's take notice of the standard of measure. That's a similarity. Second one is notice also the, the sheep and the goats. They both have an astonished response, right? They both say, What? They both say, when? 
Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When thirsty? When, when were you in, in, in prison? And when did we go see you or when did we not go see you? They both have this astonished response, but there's a difference, isn't there? The difference is the sheep, they they are astonished, but they, they are surprised to learn that everyday normal living for Christ, just living out the faith, loving others as Christ has loved us, they're kind of shocked that that was so very eternally meaningful. Just routine, normal living for Jesus. Nothing outstanding here. There's no big fireworks show here, is there? It's just normal Christian living. They were just doing what believers do. And Christ took those selfless deeds of love as deeds done not just for him, but to him. That's how believers just live. Now, the goats, they are surprised too, but for a far different reason, isn't it? They are astonished for an entirely different reason because they they were so self-assured and so self-confident that they had God figured out. And that just like they were self-deluded into thinking they ordered everything about this life, they were prideful and arrogant enough to think that they will order the next life too. And everything will fall into place. God will fall into place. Heaven will fall into place. Salvation, sin, all of that will fall into place just as I determine it to be so. That's the autonomy in our lives that gets in the way of our salvation. And when their selfish pride and arrogance are unveiled, it's shocking. Lord, when? But it's too late. So they have some similarities. So number three, let's look at what separates the sheep from the goats. We've already said, right, by looking at that standard of measure, it's how they live their lives. But let's see two further points about this. First, notice with me that the Son of Man welcomes, he welcomes the righteous into the kingdom on the basis of normal Christian living. I, just, I wanted to say that again because it should be extremely encouraging to, to all of us in the faith today, to this church today. It's not the spotlight activities, right? Jesus doesn't draw attention to the spotlight activities or the big personalities to evidence faith. It's rather the overlooked It's the overlooked, it's the underappreciated, it's the underapplauded deeds of love and kindness. Those are the things that display genuine faith. When you're still living for Jesus and no one looks and no one cares and no one is paying attention, that's when faith is evidenced. Because at that point, you're just just living for Jesus, (laughs) no one else. That's, what, that's, that's a point that we're getting to that, that's being made for. It's not the up front, it's the behind the scenes, right? It's not the pastor out front yelling at me this morning. It's the nursery volunteer that you don't see. I hope the nursery has the sermon on this morning. You're doing a great job. 
It's the sound and the, and the video tech, right, that nobody pays attention to until something goes wrong and then all eyes are on them, right? But you see, the goats, they have no time for things that don't draw attention to them. That doesn't fit their schedule. That doesn't fit their fun calendar. But the sheep, they just love to serve. That's the first thing. Second thing is, there are various, there are a variety of ways. This is just one picture, okay? This is just one picture. So as you, as you study salvation, the doctrine of salvation through the New Testament, as you study the uh, judgment passages, all of those things through the New Testament, you see a variety of ways that evidence our faith. So this is, this is one picture of the evidence of our faith. So Jesus is drawing attention here to one. There, there are others in the scripture. But what is this one? Notice Jesus is specifically drawing attention to how we treat other believers. You see what he says here? As you have done it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you treated the people I died for, I took that personally. That's the point. How we treat fellow believers, other people that profess faith in Christ. See, the goats profess faith in Christ too. They just were not in Christ. Now, there'll be some goats that hated the church, persecuted the church, denied Christ... They fit right in there. But it's about how we treated other believers, right? Now, from the sheep's perspective, if you love Jesus, you got to love his people. Sometimes that's not easy, right? Sometimes we're not easy to love. Sometimes I am, I am a difficult person to love. I don't get that. But it must be that way. Sometimes you are a very difficult person to love, but if we're sheep, we just, it's really not an option. And, and we don't really have to, it, it hurts sometimes, it's difficult sometimes, but it's not really like we're thinking, well, I can love them or not love them. It's like we know God forgave us in Christ. We forgive our brothers and sisters just as Christ has forgiven us. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It might take time, but that's just what sheep do. Why? Because the love of Christ has been poured out in our hearts. But that's not the way of the goats. Goats don't do that. Goats harbor ill will. Goats counsel you. Goats shut you down. Goats will not look you in the eye anymore. Goats will look down on you condescendingly. Goats only associate with believers who somehow benefit them at the time. And if you're not benefiting me or advancing me or agreeing with me, I've got no time for you. And Jesus says, how you treat them is how you treat me. So we better take note, right? 
we better take note how we view and how we talk about and how we refuse to forgive and how we neglect God's children for whom Jesus died. So lastly, let's look at the finality of the final judgment. The finality of the final judgment. That's why it's called final, right? There's, there's nothing after that. Great separation, then eternal destination. So to the sheep, Jesus says, Come, you, are, you who are blessed by my Father. Listen to these words. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, before he created, he already had a place for you who would come to know him. But to the goats, Jesus says, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I think that text is saying you weren't meant, you weren't meant for there, but that's what you chose. When you rejected Christ. You see, there's a great separation. Now, there's a great separation that takes place in verse 32, unbelievers from believers. But there's a greater separation that takes place in verse 41, unbelievers from God. Christ says, depart from me. Notice two things in verse 46. Jesus brings this all to a conclusion in verse 46. And by the way, when we hit chapter 26, we get into the events that occur right before Jesus' crucifixion and everything begins to happen pretty rapidly. These are some of the last words, to, last words of instruction to Christ's followers. And notice two things in verse 46. There is eternal punishment and there is eternal life. So both are forever. There is a teaching in evangelical in the evangelical world called annihilationalism. It teaches that people that that end up separated from God, that do not go to heaven, that go to hell, that it's just a kind of a brief period of time and then they just completely cease to exist. It's called annihilationalism. It's gaining rapidly gaining attention because we just simply cannot understand how sinful our sin is. But that viewpoint has some trouble with Jesus in verse 46. Jesus says these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. They are paralleled. So if we believe life will be eternal, then we must believe punishment will be eternal. And maybe that's something we deal with this summer, right? With Ask Pastor Will, why is punishment eternal? So notice it's eternal. These destinations are eternal. Secondly, I want you to note this and, 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 and dwell on this. Meditate on this throughout the day, maybe throughout the week. But catch this. Note that every, everything present in hell is absent in heaven. 
and everything present in heaven is absent in hell. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11, I've gone over this in my uh, personal devotions lately, and it says this of believers of our future state. Listen to these words. They shall obtain gladness and joy. It's talking about us before God's presence, right? They shall obtain gladness and joy. Next phrase, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So in heaven, gladness and joy will be present. Sorrow and sighing will be absent. But the reverse occurs in hell. Sorrow and sighing will be present. Gladness and joy will be absent. The main point is this. and you, I encourage you, make a list. What's present in heaven is absent in hell and the reversal. But the main point is this, isn't it? God. God is joyfully present in heaven, but his absence is painfully felt in hell. Well, what do you do with a final judgment passage when you study it? Well, here's how you respond, right? You cling to Christ. You cling to Christ. Give him your life right now and and live out your salvation with courageous faith and love for God's people. And when he returns, you and I, if we embrace him and follow him, you and I will be gathered with his people and share this good news of urgency with everyone we meet. That's how we respond. May it be so this morning. Let's pray. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.